All right, Trinity Church, how you doing? Good, you sound great. What a great morning. So appreciate Matt Thompson being back with us. Grateful for Brittany uh, hosting for the very first time today. Very cool things. And we're so glad you're here this first Sunday of uh, February and glad to be with you in a big way. I want to welcome you here in the house, uh, in the worship center. For those of you out on the pavilion, a big welcome to you. And for those of you watching online, we're really glad that you're connecting with us today, wherever you may be. Well, we have been in a series, as the video just reminded us, called This Is Love, looking at Jesus's kind of final teaching, final demonstrations of this selfless, uh, sacrificial servant leader. And in this sequence, we have been starting, we started in John 13 in this section of John, and we're working our way through, and we're seeing some amazing things. And what we keep seeing is Jesus is dropping in an idea and then he's coming back to a different one, and he's just going to keep planting seeds in this conversation with the disciples. So today, we're actually going to pick up a new idea, something that he hasn't mentioned yet. We're even going to see why, why Jesus are using that illustration or that metaphor. So if you have a Bible today, if you want to make your way to John chapter 15, we're continuing to kind of move through this last part of John's gospel if you got notes in the back, there uh, on the back there, there's some paper copies. Or if you have our app and you want to open that up and go to resources and sermon notes for today's date, you can track with us that way as well. Well, a couple things just to remind you as you're finding your place there. We have Discover Trinity two weeks from today. I love Discover Trinity because it is this great opportunity to connect and just find out what is this church about? Usually people will come, I've had, we've had some people come, literally it's their first day, and we do this once a month, and they come on that day and they just want to find out. Others of us, uh, oh, I can't speak, others of us have been here for months and just decide, I want to go find out. But we just walk you through our six core values. And the cool thing is we literally walk you through the campus to be able to explain those. And Steve Springstead does a great job with that. And so I just want to invite you two weeks from today, if you just want to know more, what is Trinity Church all about? What are the things that guide us? Our core values are a great way to find that out. And it's after this service at about 1030 on uh, those uh, third Sundays of the month. So, all right, so we're going to pick it up. Uh, what's been going on in this conversation, this is very troubling to the disciples. Jesus has had to tell them multiple times, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And we keep coming back to, whenever we see that in scripture, it's because they are. You don't tell someone to not be afraid who's doing fine. So Jesus is constantly having to pepper in that encouragement. Don't, don't lose me right now. Stay with me and don't be afraid. But he's told them things like, I'm leaving. I'm going to be separated from you. Jesus, we've devoted the last three plus years to walking in your steps, following you. What do you mean you're leaving? And he's kind of put out these concepts and given them hope that he's going to come back. He's given them hope that he's going to give them another advocate is that key word he's used so far, someone close to them. And he tells them it's the very spirit of God who's going to indwell them. So these are the concepts that he's been throwing out, and we've seen that in chapters 13 and 14. But then we're going to pick up the story today, and as we're coming to the end of that concept, we saw it last week at the end of chapter 14, come, let us go. So we've known they've been receiving this Passover meal together, celebrating what God did and bringing his people out of Egypt, 
They've been in this upper room, what we know as the Last Supper. Now they're going to stand to their feet and they're going to go for a walk. We know they're going to end up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's going to be an intense, it's not really found much in John's gospel, but in the other three, an intense time of prayer for Jesus. But in the middle of that, they're going to walk on the way there. And what's fascinating is they would have walked, knowing where this upper room was, they would have walked potentially by the temple. And the temple would have had on it, on its gate, something that might have clicked and used to cause this illustration we're going to look at today. The historian Josephus, he writes it this way. The gate opening into the building, that being the temple, was completely overlaid with gold, as, and as was the whole wall around it. It had, moreover, above it those golden vines from which depended grape clusters as tall as a man. So imagine the gates of the temple, and as they're going to be walking away from this upper room on their way through the Kidron Valley towards Gethsemane, they're going to see these gates that had these massive vines and massive clusters of grapes. And if it wasn't that, there would have been vineyards they would have seen along the way. Check out this picture. Just imagine just kind of walking past this. It would have been at night, so it wouldn't have been in the golden hour of illumination like this. But imagine walking past vineyards, and in that moment, Jesus says to them, John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus, the master storyteller, right? Jesus, the master teacher, sees something that connects the dots to let's talk about grapes. Let's talk about vines and branches. And he uses now this metaphor to explain this intense relationship. Now, this would not have been bizarre for the disciples any more than if you lived in Napa. Okay, there's vineyards everywhere. And you would just go, let's talk about grapes then. That's fine. For us, we might not see them every day, but even for the disciples, there was this sense of understanding, even from Scripture. Psalm chapter 80 likens Israel to a vine that Yahweh transplanted from Egypt and put in the land. Isaiah chapter 5 is a powerful metaphor. It likens Israel to a vineyard that was unproductive and allowed to be ravaged. And then Ezekiel 15 describes the uselessness of vine wood. Once it's been through the fire on the backside, it's good for nothing. It's too fragile and frail. So the concepts of vineyards, the concepts of vines and branches, even in scripture as well as in the land, was not uncommon for the disciples. It wasn't like, whoa, Jesus, you're throwing us this big curveball. We don't know what you're talking about. And then he explains the metaphor very easily. Take a look at this picture. It's very simple. There is such a thing as a vine, there's a branch that emanates out of it, and off the branches hang this fruit, hang these clusters of grapes. And so for some of you, you're like, Todd, are you kidding me? That's amazing. Horticulture 101, I know. So I'm so glad you came today. You've learned how grapes grow, okay? But this is the simple illustration that he uses, and, and he says that he is 
not just the vine, catch the adjective, the true vine. He says his father has a role in this. We just sang this song, good, good father. His father has this role of being the gardener. He says that there are branches that come out. And interestingly, he talks in the first part we've looked at today about two types. One type of branch that's in him that bears no fruit. And another type of branch that's in him that is fruitful. So that's what we know so far. Just first four verses of this chapter. And we also know that the branches, there's two things that happen. The branches that don't bear fruit are cut off. However, the branches that do are pruned. Aspects of them, just like an incredibly expert gardener knows, parts of the branches are pruned back so that what? They can be even more fruitful. So that's the, the imagery he shared so far. Now, these folks in the first century in this part of the world in the Middle East would have known for sure that that was just real basic. I, I wonder sometimes if we miss something. We're reading these, these uh, either metaphors or parables. We read them and we go, oh, we're looking for deep truth. I think sometimes people in the moment were like, and? We get it. We get that's how grapes grow. Oh, but wait, Jesus, you said something different. You are actually likening yourself, likening the Father. In just a minute, he's going to liken them to different parts of the metaphor. So they're paying attention. They're listening, not just for how grapes grow, but in this whole concept of what it really means to them. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, that if you're associated with him, you are either one of two types of branches, This is fascinating. If you're in him, is the phraseology, you're either one of two types of branches that he's identified. One that does does bear fruit or one that does not. It's really that simple. One that does bear fruit or one that does not. And for the type of branch that bears no fruit, a gardener is coming and is going to cut you out. Hmm. What does that mean? Now, before we get too lost... In the metaphor, one thing is really, really important that we can easily forget. Funny, we, we forget it related to the Bible, but in everyday real life related to a vineyard, we wouldn't forget it at all. And that is simply the question, what is the purpose? What is the purpose for why a, a, a person, a, a, in this case a gardener, plants a vineyard? Is it to see simply vines emanate from the ground? No. Is it to see that vine kind of maybe twist around some sort of structure and kind of look cool? Like, wow, look at that. It's kind of taking these loops. No. Is it to have that vine get to a point where it actually breaks off branches and now it's getting much bigger and it's even sprawling? I know actually people who will put some sort of vine, even like a grapevine, against some sort of lattice for a look of just kind of filling in this space with, with green, which is awesome. And when grapes come, they get frustrated. Oh my gosh, I got to cut all these things off and get, not the vineyard. You don't grow vines to grow vines. You don't grow vines to grow branches. You grow vines to grow branches to grow grapes. Productivity is always the point. And we have to remember that when we're listening to this parable about this concept of what are we talking about? It's all about fruitfulness. That's why the owner of the vineyard plants 
the vineyard in the first place. Not to look at organic things grow, but ultimately, even though those things have to happen, ultimately to see grapes on vines. So the evaluation of whether vines on a branch are healthy is found on the basis of what kind of fruit they produce and how much of it. And if you don't get that part of the metaphor, then everything else is going to be confusing. Look in your notes. Like we see in other organic illustrations that Jesus uses, there is an inherent productivity. There is an inherent productivity, vitality, health that is expected when it comes to living things. What did we just see in John chapter 10? I am the good shepherd and you are the sheep. People in the first century did not have sheep to be pets. They might in Calamesa, but they didn't. I'm not, I'm not bagging on Calamesa. They might have, but they, don't, they didn't then. You had this flock of sheep with the purpose of being able to be productive. They have wool that you would shear and you would turn into clothing. They had milk. They produced young. All of these things were valuable reasons of why sheep existed, for the sense of productivity. Jesus tells a parable in the other gospels about soil. And a farmer goes out and he throws seed. And the, the reality of this seed landing on four different types of soil, if you remember in the illustration, interestingly, only one out of four different types of soil ever does what the farmer wanted. And the other two of the other ones produced a plant. There was life. There was something that came out of the ground. But for the farmer, it's never about green plants. It's always about what's hanging off the plants. You plant for the reason of a crop. You shepherd sheep for the reason of productivity of what they're going to be used for. You plant a vineyard to grow grapes. All of these illustrations have this goal of productivity that bearing fruit is useful and nurturing. And uh, nourishing, I'm sorry. Back to the metaphor. Look at what Jesus describes, the unproductive branch that bears no fruit. I want you to really catch this. Notice that he doesn't say that gardener, the gardener comes and cuts off branches that don't bear a lot of fruit. He doesn't say that. Notice that he doesn't say that the gardener comes and, and cuts off branches that bear less fruit than other ones do. He doesn't say that either. Instead, he says, branches that have never borne fruit, nor will they ever. So remember the context of what we're looking at in John, 15, in John 15. We saw earlier in John chapter 13 that Jesus said about his disciples, he said to Peter, he's like, you don't need to be washed as though you're unclean. Your whole body, you're clean. I just need to wash your feet. But what did he say? But yet not every one of you. Not every one of you, and it's really clear in John, he's indicating Judas. By this time, Judas has left. Judas is not in the mix. So now Jesus is talking to the 11, and he says, you, plural, are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So he's talking about this group, and here's the powerful thing I want you to catch that we saw a couple of weeks ago. The word clean is not only the same word used in John 13, but it's the same word Jesus just previously used describing a branch that he cleans or prunes. When we read in our passage just a minute ago that Jesus goes through and he prunes, the gardener prunes these productive branches so that they'll produce more, it's saying the gardener comes through and cleans. 
cleans the branches so that they produce more. So this is the same word that Jesus has just said in a conversation in the upper room. And now he's saying as they're walking out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the purpose of that is that, that they would be even more productive, more fruitful. The reality is Judas was not clean. And that he left and went to where he should have gone. This is something he had his heart to do. We even saw at the table and Satan entered him. He is not of this group. When the remaining disciples are described as clean because of the way the word has been received in them, the way it has been productive, the way it has been transforming their lives as they've been following Jesus. They are people who are bearing fruit. I want to track this with you. If you're struggling with the phrase that there are branches in Jesus that get cut out, I think you should be. You're like, wait a second. I want to understand this a little better. What does that mean? Does that mean that you can be someone who is in Jesus, who's in the family of God, and then get kicked out? It doesn't mean that. And let me give you two reasons why. Remember, number one, that the branches here were not less productive. They were unproductive. They were not less productive. They were unproductive. These were people who were in and around Judas being the most obvious example, but disciples that we've seen in this book of John, John chapter 6. Man, Jesus, these are hard words. We're out. We don't get it. We don't want to do this anymore. So there were people around Jesus, but they weren't of him. They weren't with him. They weren't, in that case, in him. And remember, too, the soils, the parable of the soils to me has always been so powerful. Jesus is saying that the word of God gets spread on all types of different hearts, some hearts are so hard, there's no place for the word at all, but there's these two middle soils where the word of God gets initially received. People are interested, people want to know more, but they never move to that point of being productive, never move to that point of being people who say, Jesus, I am in and I want to grow in this relationship with you. That's the distinguisher, and we'll get to a little bit more and give you a little more um, definition in a minute. Let's keep reading. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That you bear much fruit, showing, evidencing yourselves to be my disciples. These organic illustrations in scripture to me are incredibly powerful. Even at Trinity Church, our whole brand has this concept of an organic idea of a, it's, it's really to me one of the funnest things, it's a tree inside an orange. What is that all about? How does that happen? I think it's great. But this rooted and reaching concept, these are all organic ideas. I love it. But sometimes in the concrete jungle that we live in, sometimes it actually is helpful to see some other things as well. I had the opportunity to preach on this passage five years ago in a series that we called the I Ams of, John, of John's gospel. There are eight of them, and this is obviously one of them. I am the true vine. And that day, I brought an air impact wrench just like this. The only difference was I had it connected over there to a compressor, 
And I actually plugged it in and did the ver ver whole thing. And then I realized, thinking about today, that could have gone really bad. <laughs> and I just didn't want to. But can I tell you this? I actually think this part of the illustration is even more powerful. My summer between my high school graduation and my first year of college, I worked at a tire shop. And at that tire shop, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, had guys that took time and showed me how to do things. But one of those things at a tire shop, very obviously, is you're taking off tires all the time. And, and technology, even then, even then, way back, people are like, did they even have electricity back then? <laughs> Using a lug wrench and trying to get stuff off by hand would have been crazy, but having one of these with that little attachment at the end and just, just popping off tires so fast, it was so cool. Somebody put an, an air tool in an 18-year-old's hand, and I was in heaven. It was awesome. And I was thinking about that when I was thinking about coming back to this passage again today and, and thinking about that concept and how incredibly fast I could pop these lug nuts off of a tire, all because of this compression that was going on in the hose that was plugged in. But here I am today, no compressor, just a hose, and it's this effective. This is actually worse than a big old tire wrench, tire iron. Because with that, at least I could put it on the ground and use muscle and try, well, use what I have, and try to get that thing off. This does literally nothing. I even put the right you know, um, attachment on the end, but putting it on a, a lug nut will do nothing. Jesus is saying that the connection that you have to me this vine over here, this compressor over here, it provides the power for you to be able to do. It provides the ability, it provides in the, the vine sense, the nutrition and all of the essential elements for you to be productive. But apart from me, unplugged in, nothing. This is what we have to understand. We have to get to the point where we realize it's not a suggestion. It's not like, well, with Jesus, I bet I could be so much better. Jesus says nothing. Look in your notes. Fruitfulness is absolutely dependent upon remaining, abiding, and staying connected to him. Fruitfulness is absolutely dependent upon those things. Just like how a branch disconnected from the vine will never bear fruit. You know that. You maybe have walked through a vineyard or, or here in our area, you might be more like walking through a grove of citrus trees or a grove of apple trees. And if you see a branch on the ground, you realize that's all that's left for it is kindling. There's not going to be, you could sit down, you could pull out your cool chair and you could just sit and look at that thing. Oh, I can't wait to see the apple form on the end of that bad boy. You could wait as long as you want and it's never gonna happen. The only way, but here's the wild thing. As you would stare at a disconnected branch on the ground, you could look it up at one that's on the tree and see fruit from it. There's only one difference. They're both branches. This one's connected to the source. This one is not. It is honestly that simple. Now when I say it's that simple, we need to talk today, so what does it mean to, to abide, to remain? But at the end of the day, sometimes we make so much 
of all of these aspects of how can I live in this way to please God? How can I be this person who really lives in such a way that God uses me? Can I just say, I think so often we just step right over the basics. Abiding in him, as we'll see in this passage today, is simply giving him the space, giving him the time, giving him the attention. Great things like this, corporate worship services, but daily saying, Jesus, what do you have for me today? Jesus, what does love require of me today? Jesus, how do I demonstrate you in the relationships and the circumstances in which I'm going to find myself today? And is it, is, it, is it odd that in the same context Jesus talks about prayer? In the same idea of remaining and abiding, Jesus mentions the concept of talking to God through prayer. Prayer is definitely one of those ways. Remember we said this a couple weeks ago, that the spirit will remain, will abide. It's the same exact word, in you. Huh. Back to Ephesians 5, be being filled. When I keep allowing the spirit of God more control, more room to influence and lead my life, guess what the spirit of God's gonna do is keep me connected to the vine. That all plays into that concept. So let's do this. Let's realize that to be around Jesus, to be near Jesus, to know of Jesus is like the branch on the ground and expecting something to happen. It's only when we're in him, only when we remain, only when we abide that fruitfulness is possible. Let's do this though. It's a fair question. Let's define the word fruitfulness. What is this fruit? If, if a vine should produce grapes, what should the life of one of Jesus' followers, of his corporate followers, what should we be producing, right? What should be coming out of the evidence of our lives? Look at the different New Testament ways that the concept of fruitfulness is described. Romans chapter 1, verse 13 describes fruit in terms of others responding to Jesus in salvation, that Paul's influence with people led them to come to Christ. And here's the funny thing. Some of us are convinced that's it. That's fruitfulness. It's how much God uses you to lead other people to Christ. Clearly hear this today. That's one area of fruitfulness. Listen to all the others. Romans chapter 6 verse 22 describes fruit as growing in obedience and holiness. This is the fruit that coming out of our lives. Romans 15, 28 describes fruit in terms of giving and generosity. That's fruit evidencing itself in your life. Galatians 5, 23, you know this, the fruit of the spirit, the evidence of God's spirit having that control in you, demonstrated in character like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the evidence, that's the fruit of God's spirit having control of your life. Colossians 1.10 describes fruit as your service to others. The way you're engaged in serving other people, putting their needs above your own is a, a type of fruitfulness, a productivity of your life. Hebrews 13.15 describes what we've done today, describes fruit as your praise to God coming off of your lips. This is what fruitfulness looks like, and this is where I want you to pull back 
Go back to what Jesus said. The branch in me that doesn't produce any fruit. Track that. Track all the seven kinds of things I've just said that the New Testament gives gives flesh to. It describes what fruitfulness looks like. Look at those things. And if you have someone, consider this today. If you are someone where none of those things are true of your life, could you hear from a point of love and a point of concern? You should be concerned. That's a fruitless life that a gardener is going to come and going to cut off unless there's some sort of change. Conversely, if you're someone in saying, Todd, I I didn't know how to measure fruitfulness. I didn't know what fruitfulness was described as. But as you read those seven things, there are parts of those things that are evidenced in my life. There are those things that demonstrate a a work of God in me. And, And though there should and could be more, nobody's doubting that. No one is living out to that full potential. But as there should be more, guess what? God is going to keep, the Father is going to keep doing his work of cleaning you. Keep doing his work of pruning you so that there's even more fruitfulness. That's what this passage in John 15 is communicating. Not lesser fruit, no fruit. And where there is fruit, fruit that would become more and more abundant. While it's important to define what Jesus says when he means fruit, it's also important to understand what he means when he says remain in him. Right? It's a very clear statement, remain in me. The Greek word means what we've said already today, to stay, to abide, to wait, to stay connected. But here's the powerful thing. It's the tense of the verb that I'd want to draw your attention to. This is what he used. He used a verb that was an aorist imperative verb. We've talked about imperative verbs before. They're a directive, a command, do this. But that aorist sense, listen to some um, description of that. It calls for a specific, definitive decision and choice. Do this now at once, watch this, once for all. And in one quick action, in contrast to a present imperative, which commands a habitual action, often expresses a note of urgency. When people talk about responding to the gospel, when people talk about coming to Christ, it's fascinating that that conversation can tend to be one of two camps. Either, quote, did you pray the prayer, Or are you just walking with Jesus every day demonstrating that you have? And you know the wild thing? I think scripture, even in this passage, shows both. It shows this decisive moment. When I sit down with people and I get to just the joy of listening to their story, especially in preparation for baptism, one of the things that we talk about is I say to them, but when was that moment I know there's been a ton of moments since, but when was that moment when you said, yes, Jesus? I admit that I am a sinner. I believe you're the only savior available and I choose to put my hope in you. It doesn't mean that everything went great after that. It doesn't mean that everything was just up and to the right, but it means there was a moment in time. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Make the decision. Make the choice not just to be near me. Make the choice to be in me. 
And as a result, watch the fruit I produce through you. That's what I believe Jesus is getting at in this passage. That's the decision he puts before you and I today as well. If you choose to stay near me but not remain in me, you won't produce fruit. You're the branch on the ground. And you'll ultimately be like that dead wood that's picked up and thrown in the fire, just used for kindling. But the branch is very lifeblood. Its source of its identity, its nourishment, and its purpose flows from its connection to the vine. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't be productive for me unless you remain connected to me. It's that simple. I love this mutuality, though. It's something we don't talk much about. We talk all about how much we need the vine, and I want to be careful how I say this. I really don't believe that Jesus needs us. I believe he loves us and wants to use us. But listen to the way Carson kind of connects this dot. This is what he says. Chapter 14 has already introduced the mutual indwelling of the believer and Jesus. We read this a couple weeks ago, or last week. You are in me, and I am in you. So we've already read that. Here, the same notion is portrayed in the vine imagery. Jesus is the vine. His disciples are the branches. Look at the last part. The branches derive their life from the vine. We've made a lot of that this morning, but watch the second part. The vine produces its fruit through the branches. At this point in time, at this point in the the narrative, the story of what God is doing in the world. He said, you are going to represent me to the world. You are this demonstration of the character and the, the truth and the love of God through you as an individual and through you as the church. And we think about that, and we kind of go, okay, Todd, I've heard that before, but can I bring it in this context? If we understand that, then we understand what we've said so many times, that is God's plan A for saving the world. And he doesn't have a plan B. Watch this. People in your relational world, people that you do life with, people who are your neighbors, people who are your coworkers, people who live under the roof of your home, classmates, they know if you are a fruit-producing disciple. Why? Because they watch you. They know the good and they know the bad. And we all have it. No one here is walking on water getting everything right. But in the equation of that, they're watching and they're seeing a representation of a follower of Jesus. Whether one who is producing much fruit, one who is producing little fruit, or one who's just near him, producing no fruit. This is the way, the main way that the gospel gets transmitted. Think back, it's the main way the gospel got transmitted to you. Was because people in your life, whether it be a parent, whether it be a coworker, whether it be a coach, whether it be a friend, somebody, not just, quote, invited you to church, but somebody was showing you what love looked like, a love you'd never experienced before. Because a love that wasn't based on what you could do back for them, a love that simply loved you as is. That kind of agape love only comes from God. And the only reason we can give it is because we've received it. In your notes, 
this is what that all comes back to, the importance of not just in our own lives, but in others, the people in your relational world, the people that you do life with, know if you are a fruit-bearing disciple of Jesus or not. They're watching you, they're doing life with you. And that's why we make so much at Trinity Church about being a people who live lives rooted in Jesus as we're reaching our world. Finally today, the last part of our passage begins in 15 verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be complete in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, to love each other as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, watch, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus doubles back, goes back to this metaphor once again of vitality and branches and productivity. And see how this transition comes. He says, he starts at the beginning of what we just read, and he talks so much about remain in me. Now he says, remain in my love as though those things are synonymous. Remain in me, it's, it's like remaining in my love, almost as though to say that the most important dynamic of the disciples' relationship to Jesus was his love for them, as though that was the greatest of all these things, as though maybe that's what this whole testimony, this whole life of Jesus has been about. This is love. I wonder where we got the series title. Oh, that's it. That, this is what Jesus is saying. It's synonymous to say, remain in me, remain in my love. Remain in the way I have loved you, the way the Father has loved me. Jesus teaches them that he's modeled this kind of love for them. This is powerful. He says, I'm not asking you to do something I haven't already done. I'm asking you to live in that kind of dependence with me, upon me, and I'm asking you to live out what I've commanded you to do. Watch, just like in a love relationship with the Father, I have lived in a dependence upon him with the goal of living out, obeying his commands. So Jesus can, with all authority, say, do as I do. There's no hypocrisy in him. Do as I do. Then there's this powerful statement. I love this. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. I want you to think about that just for a second. Think about the different descriptors that you use when you talk about Jesus. I think about, I think about the ones I use. I use ones like King, King Jesus. I use ones like Messiah. I use ones like Lord or Savior. Friend, it's probably the least common title, the least common way that I refer to Jesus. And yet he said, I've called you friend. 
He uses this Greek word phylos from where we get the word Philadelphia. It's this kind of, it's very much a friendship kind of love. It's a close friendship. It's a close confidant. It's like a a friend who's as close as a, a family member. It might be even one of the close members of your family, right? These really just close friends you can share, you can talk, you've done life with, high tops and valleys. Jesus said, I call you that. I would wonder what that would do for us. Because I've been wondering for myself all week long, Jesus, what would that be like if I thought of you more as my friend? Man, it should be a moment when you and I just take that in that the Savior of the world calls us friend. We think of him in high and lofty ways, and rightly so. But he also says, I don't want to remain only there. I'm that close confidant that is right here with you. In your notes, consider how our understanding of this term friend a term of endearment, of intimate relationship would impact our lives if we considered it more. What would that mean in our everyday lives if we understood Jesus this way? Hebrews chapter two, by the way, reinforces this idea. Talks about Jesus being our big brother. Jesus being our protector. Jesus as the pioneer, the one who blazes the trail of our faith. Consider that kind of closeness, that kind of access that you have this week when you consider the person of Christ. Jesus closes as part of the conversation today reminding them that as they are branches to his vine, that they're dependent upon him for this fruit that's going to last, that he's called them to be abundant. And he's called them to bear, watch, fruit that will last. Not just fruit, fruit that will last. You think of this phrase, this has been troubling to me for so long. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, that's confusing because apart from you, I can do lots of things. You can go through your entire week, be successful at your job, be relatively present in your marriage, pay attention to your kids. You can do all kinds of things apart from Jesus. So what on earth does this mean? And the sad thing is we can do a lot of churchy ministry things apart from Jesus that masks itself as something meaningful. But what does he say? It's only in me that you will bear fruit, watch, that lasts. Fruit that lasts now and into eternity. There might be a lot of ways we evaluate fruitfulness in other people's lives. One thing that Jesus is looking at is that, are you connected to me? And is my nutrition, is my nutrients, is my vitality flowing through you? Because what's produced in those lives is fruit that's gonna last. How does Jesus sum it all up? He said it twice in our passage today, love one another. Love one another. That's the posture, that's the behavior that demonstrates the kind of identity, the kind of connection to Jesus like nothing else. This is love. Let's pray.
Father, I just thank you so much for this passage. It is one of my favorites, uh, not because it's always so comforting, it's incredibly challenging and convicting, but you lay it out so clearly for us that there is no life trying in religion. There is no life trying harder out of our own resources. There is no abundance, no fruitfulness that flows from a life that's not connected to you. So Jesus, this week, this week would we be a people who recognize our absolute dependence upon you? Would we remain, would we stay connected to the vine as these branches And would we see you produce a kind of fruit through our lives that we have no excuse for, no no, uh, commentary? We don't know how this is happening, but we simply know that you are the one doing things in and through us. You're giving us an uncommon joy. You are causing praise to come off of our lips. You are giving us this desire to want to put others ahead of ourselves and serve. These are fruitful lives. These are the kind of fruit that will last and the kind of fruit that we absolutely need you for. So Father, this week, would you remind us of what it looks like to remain in you? Give us this great desire, this great conviction, not just to be around you, but to be in you. And would you produce that kind of fruit through us? If you're here today and you've never responded to the invitation to be right with God through Jesus, through this Jesus who's been talking to us all day today, it begins by what we said earlier, A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believe. Believe that Jesus is the only savior available, the only option out there. C is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my confidence, my hope in what you've done at the cross, not what I can do for you. And as a result, I simply want to walk in your footsteps. I want to follow after you. You can make that decision today, and I would so exhort you, don't waste another moment. Respond to Jesus, his love, and his life this morning. Begin to live that fruitful life he's described today. Father, we love you. Thank you for your amazing, extravagant love over us. And we pray today as we leave this place, remind us you're the cornerstone. Remind us how essential and critical you are. We pray in Jesus' great name.